Welcome to the second episode of the ZA Dev Chats podcast. Tonight we've got quite an interesting show. We are going to be discussing the the things that every web developer should know. Tonight our panel consists of Peter Hermesheis. Say how's it, Peter? Hello. Uh, Martin Cronier. Hi, everyone. And Robert McLean. Hello. Cool. So earlier this week, um, Simon Stewart um, posted a very interesting tweet, and I'm actually going to read his tweet verbatim. That said, web devs who don't understand request response or basic DOM manipulation, what the fuck is happening in our industry? And it started off quite an interesting conversation. Now, I did ask Simon if he could be on the show. Unfortunately, he, he couldn't be on tonight. But we started discussing a number of things and thought it would make a good topic for the show. So jumping from that immediately, I'm going to jump to Rob. Uh, Rob, can you just give us an overview of what you do for a living um, and how you've come about interacting with a number of developers on a day-to-day basis? So my job is, well, my title is I'm a senior developer at Microsoft. I work with a team called the App Factory where we produce apps, be they sort of native apps for the Windows platforms or apps uh, built on web technologies. Um, and our, the way we structure it is to have a bunch of interns there as well, so people fresh out of school. So I spend a lot of time with, I think, sort of the people Simon was referring to, the people who don't know what request response actually means and who have to go and then build web applications and build things for customers, uh, since everything we do is actually for customers. I've also sort of spent a lot of time with various user groups. Uh, I'm a, one of the leads at the developer user group and get to hang out there and have people like Martin come through and, and educate us all on, on different technologies. Cool. Martin, uh, your background with what you do on a day-to-day basis at the moment? Okay, so I'm a software developer, and I spend most of my time sort of like coaching and mentoring um, software teams to sort of master their craft. You know, that sounds like all buzzwordy, you know. But basically, we work with teams to, to help them become better at software development. I guess, you know, more, more context is I've spent my career sort of like building a variety of apps from sort of like mobile stuff to data analytics and high volumes sort of systems integration and, and a whole bunch of websites as well. Um, I actually started my, my career off as a sort of a web author. I guess people call them front-end designers these days. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, when I'm not um, coaching teams, I still try to, to, to build a whole bunch of, of sites and stuff. And in the work I do, I tend to deal with a whole bunch of developers of all the walks of life, from PHP to sort of like ASP Classic even still today, um, some Ruby guys, and, you know, get a bit of a feeling for, for how the different people in the industry sort of approach things. Awesome. Peter, from your side, and you know that at the moment you don't really work with large teams, but you used to work with a relatively large team at your previous employer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, so um, I actually, I can actually relate to what Simon said on, in his tweet, but I mean, when we get deep into the discussion or the conversation tonight, um, I think there's a, a couple of interesting points to raise from that point of view, but um, I suppose we'll get to that. Cool. And then just to lay a little bit of background, um, the, my, my previous position that I had 
any junior member who joined our team immediately was placed onto onto my my team within the company. So I I handled you know getting getting very young developers or getting developers that were at least new to web developments, so that I would show them the ropes of different debugging tools and different ideas with regards to web development. So that's just I just wanted us to lay down like where we're all coming from with this. So I'm going to kick off the conversation with so we've we've all we all have our views for what web developers don't know and what they really should and we've all had various experiences in this. The one thing I found really interesting with most guys who joined who joined my team was the moment I mentioned any form of debugging tools, be it be it the, the Chrome Dev tools or Firebug for Firefox, they had no idea what I was talking about. Every now and then I'd ask somebody if they'd heard of Firebug and they, they would correct me and go, No, no, you know, I mean Firefox. So it's you know and then I'd have to correct them and and explain what Firebug was and why Firebug was important. And I found it and it's not only with, so I can understand somebody who's fresh out of school, who's never heard of these tools before, but when somebody comes in for an interview who's got three or four years web development experience, who are, you know, hardcore jQuery guys or whatever, and they have absolutely never used these dev tools before, and some of them would look at me either in the interview or when they first started and they'd say, you know, if I'd have known about this before, my life would have been so much easier. And I was always completely flawed. Like, how can guys not know about these things? How are they debugging their applications? How are they doing pretty much anything? Because the moment I start on any web project, one of the first things that happens when I open it up is I pop open the dev tool so I can see what is going on underneath. So then again, I was very lucky in that the team that I joined, I mean, I was taught these things from a young age. I at least knew what Firebug was when I when I joined um, when I joined the previous company. But you know, I got I got taught a, a lot of other things. So that is just something from from my side that just completely blew my mind. Um, Martin, what what is something that you've experienced that web developers don't know and they really really should? Well, you know, I, I think you know it makes for, from my side just sense to first qualify what we mean by by web developer. Um, and and you know, it surprised me over the years to see that this this definition of web developer is actually sort of very different between different sort of sub parts of our industry and 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 even different companies. And from, from what I've seen, there's, there's essentially sort of like, I guess, three types, even four types of, of web developers within our industries. The first for me that I've seen is sort of like graphic designers that, that take a WordPress site and they, they just populate a WordPress site with whatever graphics. And there they may do some PHP scripting um, or whatever to, to, to get the site up and running. And, you know, if you actually look at that, that's a very, very large percentage of you know, inverted commas sort of web developers in the industry. The second is sort of people that refer to themselves as front-end developers that, that basically do HTML, CSS, and, and jQuery. And, you know, what I've seen from, from those developers is they typically do not have any cooking clue about object orientation or, 
or good systems design or anything because they actually they don't know about good systems design. So they just string a whole bunch of scripts together and make make a site sort of look interesting. Then then I've seen what what people refer to as full stack developers, um, and that's sort of like a US term that, that people use a lot. And the, that is sort of like the guys that that do sort of like the server pages, whether it's PHP or Ruby or MVC or whatever. And they do CSS and they do HTML, and that that from from my perspective at least is the bulk of developers within the industry. And um, uh, you know, with the other bunch was the bulk of, of sort of web authors. And and what I've seen with this group is, especially sort of like in the Microsoft space, for some reason there is a sort of lack of understanding of um, design patterns and just basic object-oriented concepts, so that people know about those things, understand about objects, understand about those things, but I don't think that they really sort of like grok it. They grok the concepts of, of modularity and, and so forth. And then for me, the last class of, of developer is, is probably what I just would call a software developer. And those are people that, that sort of like would, would go out of their way to understand multiple technologies, understand how to build a solution um, irrespective of, of, of the platform. And, um, you know, I guess the deeper you go, the, the, the better the understanding becomes. So that, that's what I've seen, at least. You know, uh, it's, it astounds me. One, about a year ago, you know, I was working with this one developer, and you know, I showed him how to do a substring in, 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 in JavaScript, and he sort of, like, he didn't know that that function existed, and the guy's been developing for 30 years. So, you know, uh, you know wow. where do you draw the line? <laughs> so I guess... I've, I've seen a whole bunch of stuff being being done wrong, but for me, I would say, you know, across the board, probably the most scary is people just don't understand, you know, what things like JavaScript is and how it fits together and what CSS is and how it fits into the bigger picture. And obviously what HTML is and how that all fits into the picture. So, yeah, that's my five cents. Yeah. And Peter, your side? <sighs> okay, so, sure, that's Martin, Martin just blew us away there. So yeah, <laughs> okay. So and the the one thing that I've seen is um, I used to be quite involved with ASP.NET MVC, and um, one of the projects that I previously worked on involved quite a quite a number of people actually using MVC. And it's it's funny because I can't tell you the number of times I had to go to the dev developer and say. Because he was like, "Why is my model not appearing on the on in the browser?" I'm like, oh, "Because that MVC model is not a browser concept, right? Like, it's at the end of the day, your browser just understands HTML, JavaScript, and CSS. And that I don't know whether or not that is just because you get the as Scott Hanselman refers to them, the dark matter developers. They just understand exactly what they need to know to actually get the job done, whether or not they actually understand what's going on is a different story, but when I worked in that team, that's pretty much like <laughs> one of the biggest problems that I've seen, where they, they would just have this complete <laughs> like disconnection between what's actually happening, um, and then they would actually open up the Chrome developer tools and start looking for their MVC models. That's, yeah, like I said, that's, that's pretty much the biggest problem that I've seen. At least they knew where the uh, where the Chrome developer tools were. <laughs> All right, Rob, um, and then your side, because I know you deal with a lot of really really young young devs. So it'll be interesting to hear your side. So the main thing there's there's what people should know, in my opinion, for web dev, and I've been doing web dev now for 
close to 18 years and I made the comment to Simon in the, in the Twitter chat around, you know, everyone should know DNS because the number of web problems I've run into that are DNS related or can be solved with DNS is just so simple. Uh, so many and that, knowing that makes it so simple, but that's a should. It's the same for HTTP. I think knowing request response, like Simon says, is very important, but you know, how much, where do you draw that line? Because I also think knowing how HTTP is structured with headers and bodies, what HTTP methods are, particularly if you're looking at that sort of full stack developer Martin was alluding to around needing to do server side and back end side and so on. So there's a lot of that, but that's a should. I think there might be a promise with the problem with the premise we have, and that's what do web developers actually need? What do you really need to get it done? And in my thinking around that, there's only two things. One is whatever you need to get it up and running. So if you don't know, the Chrome tools are there, but you can still deliver it in whatever your constraints are, be it time or money or resources or whatever, then you didn't really, you didn't need the Chrome developer tools. The only thing I could think of that's an absolute essential that every person building every anything on the web should know is, is deep security. I'm dealing with a system at the moment and it's developed by a senior developer who has lots of experience and I'm looking at this and you know crying out every day because their system is so insecure I can hack every user in the system. So I think security would be the only thing I would say developers need. Everything else is, is optional. Um, yeah, that's actually interesting. I mean, it, we were clearly talking about uh, full stack developers here and and um, not not probably the bulk of, of people building websites on the in, in internet. And, and, and do you think that's a right, a correct assertion, Rob? No, not at all. I think that that, that that has changed dramatically over the last few years. I think if we go back a decade ago, definitely everybody was full stack. Today, that has vastly changed to, you know, the full stack is kind of a, a hard thing to find. You know, the stuff we do now for, for app dev on the web is all Angular and it's all client side. And making sure that that stuff works really well is important. I've uh, heard many stories around people just doing stupid security things and stupid things in Angular and not getting it right and not understanding those concepts. And coming back to what you said earlier, Martin, not understanding the fundamentals, you know, not just object orientation, but, you know, understanding how JavaScript works and making assumptions about how certain things are and how certain things behave. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in quickly. I've, I've had a theory for a number of years, and this theory is, is not entirely theory. It's, it's based on stuff that, that happened to me when, when I started. So I was, I was very lucky in that I worked, I worked at a company called Signify years ago, uh, 2006 or, or so. And I arrived there, and I was doing, we were converting an old VB6 and classic ASP app to ASP.NET. And I was fresh out of college. I didn't go to university. Um, and we'd basically just been taught how to get the job done. First day there, I can't remember what I did. I'm pretty sure it was in Visual, one of the Visual Studios. I drag and dropped a control, and it was working, and I was happy. And it was good for, you know, the, this is finished now. And the owner of the company, who was also an exceptionally good dev, he sat down and looked at it and said, why is this control um, running at the server? There's no need for it. 
just to more how else am I going to get the information from the front end to the back end? You know, it has to run at the server because that's just the way ASP.NET works. And he he sat down with me and started explaining a lot a lot of things. Towards the end, I mean, we we were only using postbacks when we absolutely had to. I think if I didn't have somebody like that who sat down and explained why my you know my thinking was wrong, I probably would have stayed one of those developers that just did things because that's the way we've been told to do it. We've been told to do it like this. It gets the job done. So why am I going to change the way I'm doing it? It's quick. It's easy. And it works. And I think, I mean, I've been working for almost 10 years now. My concern is that a lot of the developers that started at the time that I did, that worked at companies where they didn't really care about the code in the background, all they cared about was getting stuff done, those guys are now all seniors. They are now lead developers at smaller companies. They are now developers that are looked up to by by juniors, you know, that are starting now. So the juniors that are starting now see that this is the way you know, Joe Soap is is coding, and I use coding in inverted commas there. He's dragging and dropping the interface, and he's getting it done. So why would we worry about security? I mean, everything's running on the server. I mean, we're not going to have security issues unless the people are on our server, right? Totally, totally agree with, with you. I had a similar story from when I was starting out. I wrote this beautiful web-based email client, and I thought I was absolutely brilliant. And the sort that I realized I was putting the user's unique ID in the URL, and there was all just ints, so you could just change it by one to see someone else's mail. And I had to, some senior came over and sat down and explained that to me before we sort of ship that. I totally agree with you. And I think mentorship is a vital thing and it's a huge thing that we need to try and figure out how to solve as an, not as a web dev problem, but as a software dev problem in general. Mentorship is a huge solution to many of the ills that we face at the moment. Um, uh, I actually totally agree with you on that, that um, Rob. Actually, um, in preparation for, for, for the talk tonight, I. Uh, I saw this very cool quote on on uh, Coding Horror's uh, blog a couple of weeks ago, and it was a it was a question that that was posed to to um, David Barnas like 50 years ago, 40 years ago, and I asked him, you know, what is the most over overlooked risk in software engineering? And then he basically responded and said, incompetent programmers. <laughs> and it, you know, if you, <laughs> it's quite crazy, but you know, if you if you read the rest, he, he says that. You know, at the time, that was like 40 years ago, the U.S. needed 200,000 programmers, you know, and I think we'll all agree that, you know, there's still a massive skill shortage in the industry today. And it goes on and said, but it's not the fact that there's so many people that the industry need, it is that there's so many bad programmers, and for every sort of like one bad programmer, there's two new programming jobs that get created. So the problem only gets expedited. And... You know, for, for, for many years I've now been saying that the skill shortage doesn't mean that there's not enough people in the industry. There's more than enough people in the industry. There's just, there's not mentorship happening. There's not skills development happening. And through that, you know, people make fundamental mistakes when they build solutions. And, you know, then other people end up fixing it. And that's how those people, you know, become stronger developers. And the circle just viciously continues um, on. 
So I, I agree fundamentally with what you're saying, Robin. I think, you know, if, if David Parnas said this in the late 60s, I, I think it's been a problem for a while. <laughs> yeah, there was also, there was an interesting, I, I can't remember where it was now. They, somebody was discussing why there aren't any old programmers around. If you think about it, I mean, if we, if we think of the, the uh, I mean, right now, the guys that I, I work with probably have more experience than anybody I've worked with before. I mean, you don't find a lot of skilled devs with a lot of experience. And they were discussing, I really wish I could remember where it was. I think it was a podcast. And they were talking about it in the late 60s, there were a few thousand programmers. And in the late 70s, there were probably tens of thousands of programmers. And like every decade, the number of programmers almost doubled. Um, like I'm talking worldwide. So what happens is, is now we're seeing millions of developers, right? But if we look at the developers that, uh, that we should be looking up to, the guys that should have a ton of experience, that should have the, the 40, 50, 60 years of experience, there just weren't a lot of those people around back then, which is why we don't see that many of them. And at the same time, those devs that were around back then, not all of them were very vocal. Not all of them wrote books or you know published papers. They did what they needed to do. It was a day job. They got their day job done. They might have done it well. They might have done it badly. Who knows? But we only know of a handful of vocal developers from that time that we can learn from that have got that experience whereas the market is completely diluted by you know a much younger generation looking yeah. on the rails side uh, I can't remember the author's name now he, he started committing to rails um, at the start of a year and the following year he was actually writing a book on rails and that to me is a little bit scary when a guy with one year's dev experience in total is now a published author. Sure. It, it's, it's a little bit scary. So, Steve, I think the, the thing you're referring to is it was actually an article by Martin Fowler where he was saying they pulled up some stats around the, the increase in that the current state of software development is that we are doubling in size every five years, which is a really fast growth but if you his point that he made was that if you spin that round half of the programmers today have five years or less development experience and that just gets worse to find older and older developers and it, you're right that not all of the people who are today are going to be producing and mentoring and sharing that just means that pool shrinks over time so it, it's a fantastic article from Martin Fowler actually it sort of it gives me that sort of scared moment the question I have is why are, why are we getting away with this? I mean, why are we? Why can you have somebody who's won your experience and they can get away with writing a book? Why are we rewarding that? Is there not some other problem there? One one thing that I've that I've also seen, um, Rob and and Stephen is, you, you know, I went through. Uh, I hate LinkedIn as a tool, but I went through through my LinkedIn sort of contacts list um, the other day, and I. And I realized that, you know, I started work, working professionally as a programmer, sort of like 98-ish. You know, I went through the list and I realized that everyone that mentored me back then and everyone that I worked with back then don't program anymore. 
they're, they're all, they've all done this career change to management or, or whatever, just so that they can squeeze out a little bit more, more money. And, and you know, to, 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 to be frank, the, 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 one of the main reasons I'm coaching teams now is because if I was working as a, as a developer, um, I would just not be earning anything really sustainable to, 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 to my age, I guess. So I think there's there's the industry doesn't lend itself for people to to sort of like age as as developers as well, you know I think we we did this one project to to, to get your question uh, Rob we did this project quite recently with well it was a product that we sort of got off the ground the the bird lesser thing, and you know I was the two sort of partners that we worked with were one was like a former dev manager and the other guy doesn't really have um, sort of like technical background. And, and we just realized how blatant it is that non-technical people think that software developers are a commodity. They, they just think that, you know, one software developer can be replaced with another developer and, you know, things will just go on, you know, as if, as if uh, there, there isn't any problems. And, you know, those 200,000 or whatever, 100,000 of, of developers that's got less than five years experience just frankly don't have the, the, the knowledge and the experience and the wisdom to, to know that they're not a commodity. So they get called resources and they get shunted around and work their 16-hour days until they eventually burn out and become managers, you know. So I think it's, you know, everyone should just quit their jobs from the big corporates and <laughs> <laughs> and, but the thing is, it, it, it happens. Burnout, burnout is a terrifying thing. And, and, and I realize that we're probably diverging a little bit from the original topic now. But I mean, I had a, a dev manager um, at, at one of my jobs um, who did a lot of coding at the time that worked quite literally 12 to 16 hour days every day. And after about seven or eight years of being a dev, he just thought, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. He is now managing a wire processing plant in Brackpan. He has he's got an honors BSc degree. <laughs> this guy is an, was an incredible dev, and he just got so sick and tired of it that he now works in some weird thing managing the processing of wire. It 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 blows my mind. But now going to something you said, Martin, and, and this is something that I think might feed into it, that as, I'm not going to say web developers, as developers, for a start, a, a lot of developers are treated as a commodity. And I think that might actually be seeping into the, into the, metal, into the mental attitude of the developers, that I arrive at a place, um, I don't know a technology, or um, obviously you generally don't know a business domain before you work at a particular client or, or at a particular company. So when I get there, I'm going to be taught what I need to know so that I can get my job done. And when I get bored or when I get a better um, financial offer, I'm now going to move across and I'm going to move into a job again where I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to spend my time there. I'm going to learn what's going on. And so I'm going to bounce around. And these developers, probably, you know, as as Hanselman said, the, these dark matter developers who who bounce around from client to client to client, they they fundamentally don't understand why they are doing certain things and how the technology is working with whatever framework they're using, whatever language they're using. They've never been taught to question why something is happening. 
So when I click this button and something gets sent to the server, I get the information on the other side. Why is it working? Um, and if people are treated as commodities, they're never going to get to that point of thinking, you know, I'm here to write something that I'm going to be proud of. I'm here to write something I know is going to work incredibly, incredibly well. They have that idea of, I'm here to get a job done. I need to get it done. Who cares what's happening underneath? How do we change that mindset? How do we change... I mean, obviously, it's not something we can answer right now. But how do we how do we get that get that mind shift change in people that when they join a company, even if they are referred to as a resource, that they are there to be cognizant of what they're doing, to question why, to find out why, and to implement the best stuff they can. I don't think that's a people a developer problem, actually. I don't think that's something we can get developers to fix, and I don't think it's something they'll fix industry-wide. I've had the problem recently where we got asked to go in and speak to a customer. They needed a solution developed. They told us the features. They told us the timelines. They told us the budget, you know, that lovely iron triangle, all unreasonable. We told them no, and not because we don't want the work. We really did want that piece of work. I cannot tell you how much pressure there was to just find a way to make it work. And in the end, we told them no, because it really was unfeasible for for what was there. So they went around and found somebody who would say yes, because there will always be another developer who will say yes to that scenario until we have a major disaster in software development that makes all customers petrified of hiring bad developers. I don't think we will get to a place where developers are not seen as commodities, as Martin says, and that developers who are going into places where they are told their resources and to they are encouraged to just get it done they're not encouraged from top down that there is a better that they should be doing it the best way they can and they should be taking treating it as an engineering practice and not just a get it out the door as fast as possible practice we're not going to see change so i might be showing my age here but but wasn't that big catastrophe the whole y2k thing I mean, look, I was still in school when that happened, so yes, I, I, I am a baby, I get that. But, you know, wasn't that the big shock, the big wake-up call that, crap, people haven't actually been paying attention to what they're doing well, because okay. we all knew we were heading towards the year 2000, yet none of the devs, you know, took that into I, account. I've got a different view on that. Yeah, you know, the, the, the Y2K thing could have been an example of that. You know, Heartbleed last year could have been an example of that as well. Um, I actually think those those little micro nuclear bombs go off every single day in these big corporates, and there's just another army of developers every time that that patches the holes and and things go on again. You know, I was I, I was at a client that I won't name quite a couple of years ago, and um, a, a bug in production cost the company 100 million rand um, due to a couple of trades going go down. crap! And, you know, all they do is they pick up their stuff the next day, they put an insurance claim in, and things go on again. You know, the developers work themselves into stupor. One of the guys um, that was on that project um, collapsed. Um, he has got heart issues. Um, he has heart issues till this day. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just the status quo. You know, if you ask the question, do we need to do something as an industry to change this, 
you know, I think short of changing the entire free market economy, I, I don't really think there is, is a solution because this doesn't doesn't just happen in software development. I think it happens everywhere. Um, but I think we can we can help people not get involved in those companies. We can we can teach people that care, the people that really are passionate about software development, not to go and do the big corporates and go and work there and have the people go and work there who don't really care, who just want to do it as a job. And I think that is what we can do to, to, to make a difference at the end of the day. Peter, you've been really quiet. So what do you think about all of this? Have you got any any insights? I, I, I think, um, coming back to what Simon originally said on Twitter, he said, what is happening to our industry? I don't think anything is really happening to our industry that hasn't happened before. I mean, you guys have reiterated a number of times. It's going to keep on happening, and the best that we can do, and in all honesty, the best yeah, it is the best that we can do is actually um, keep on doing what most of us are doing, which is why we're on this podcast, is to educate people about, like, you are going to get the passionate developers who want to go home and learn stuff, and then you are going to get the 9 to 5 developers who just want to go to work and do what they need to do, and it's, it's kind of like our job to get those people educated, sit with them, mentor them, because they are going to, they're probably going to pay it forward, right? And that's honestly the only way that you can, that you can do anything. But, <laughs> I mean, the number of, the number of us that are out there versus the number of dark matter developers is, it's almost like fighting a losing battle, right? I don't really have anything more to say about that. Um, yeah, to me, that's, that's kind of like the, the game plan. So, I'd, I'd, sorry, Steve. Um, I'd like to challenge Martin's Martin's idea there about telling people to avoid corporates. I think corporates may be the only solution for us. Not as developers. I think small shop development houses are probably what what's going to is probably the best places for many people. But I think corporates have the money, they have the the resources to invest in dedicated teams that do mentorship in dedicated proper training programs. Small, you know, small companies that are, you know, less than 100 people, they're not going to hire a dedicated person to work 24-7 with a team for the entire life of a project. You know, they might be lucky enough if they can get a guy in a couple hours a week to help them um, and send the, you know, if they're really lucky, they send them off to take it once a year and that's their once a, once a bit of training. But I think corporates have have that ability and the problem is, Coming back to what Martin said earlier, that uh, the people in the top there, they're seeing developers as commodities. They're not seeing the value a good developer can bring versus a bad, an average developer or a bad developer. Uh, I'm not so negative on, on the sort of dark matter developers. I think there's many good ones out there that they may not be the alpha developers, they, but they're getting their job done. They're getting it well. They're not introducing problems. They could be much better. I think the corporates are probably our best chance at fixing this, actually. As a different thought, uh, Rob, I agree with you. Um, you know, I think I use when I use could be corporates as a collective term for bad companies. <laughs> um, you know, there's 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 certainly large professional services companies in in South Africa today. I'm not going to mention which ones I think are good and which ones I think are bad at the the risk of leaving some some out and not mentioning others. Stuff like yeah, that. for sure. But I, really, <laughs> but I really think there are there are some companies, large software development companies, that really try to look after their people. And must I ever add to that, just to say that you know I've started the journey. The funny thing is, today in reality is three years old, and I started 
a journey three years ago to to, to just find happiness again within within you know my career after having worked with on some of the largest projects in our country on, on some of the more, most painful projects in our country and this journey has been interesting because I've come across mid-sized and small companies that do, do truly amazing things and really treat their, their people really extremely, extremely well. And, you know, I, I just think to myself, whenever I walk into some of these companies' doors, I think to myself, it is just a pity that, that not all developers could live and work in places like this. And those companies are out there, you know, just go and look for them. You're not going to earn as much as you earn for a, for a big bank or a big um, investment broker or whatever, but at least you're going to be happy, you know. And, you know, whether those companies are in Joburg or in, in, in Cape Town, they're all over the country, and, and there is certainly really, really cool places to go and work for. Uh, I have to, I have to agree with that. So, and as, as weird as it was, because my, my, my knee-jerk reaction when, when Rob, when, when you said that, that corporates might be our, our saving grace, was my knee-jerk is like, you've got to be kidding. And then I remembered that I, I mean, I'm currently one of the clients I work at um, is a very large corporate and it's an incredible environment. When I look at the way they are treating the particular project that I'm working on, it is phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. They are just doing an incredible job with having a, a team working together on, on various stories over a long period of time um, and there isn't that pressure of it needs to get done now. You know, it it'll be done when it's when it's when you when you guys say it's finished and we've tested it and it's correct and the functionality is, you know, is exactly what we need. That's when it'll be done. You know, there is no oh you need to work eighteen hours a day and this needs to be done tomorrow. Oh, and if you get it wrong, by the way, we're going to fire the lot of you. There isn't that pressure. Which is kind of the view that I had of corporates for a very long time. I mean, I haven't worked in corporates since 2005, and that very much was the case at the corporate that I was at in 2005. Similar to uh, Martin, you were saying one of the guys actually fell over from a heart condition. I mean, my, my manager at that place was 26 when he had his first heart attack. I mean, that's that's terrifying. So yeah, maybe maybe corporates now are going to be our saving grace, but I can't speak for all all the corporates. Um, it would be really interesting to see how some of the other corporates handle their their dev projects. Peter, I just I just actually want to put a plus one there as well because I actually recently moved from uh, from a corporate environment to a dev shop with four people. The funny thing is we've got two juniors working with us and two seniors and. Unfortunately, the two juniors are picking up such bad habits because the deadlines are unrealistic and they get to cut corners. Now, if you do that for a couple of years, what do you think is going to happen to that dev? Well, that's going to become a standard way of working. So, yeah, that's huge plus one because we didn't have that problem um, back in the corp uh, corporate environment. You actually had to do it properly. Otherwise, uh, you know, things just fall apart. So, yeah, uh, good on you, Rob. Well done. Cool. So what I want us to go through quickly is, um, I'll, I'll start off, I just want us all just to give one thing that we would like developers to do going forward to maybe just improve themselves. Um, that will probably lead to the things that they should know. Personally, from my side, what I would love to see 
developers do more often is ask why. Not only why a feature needs to be in place, but why frameworks do what they do. What what happens underneath when they call a specific API? Be that jQuery, be it Rails, be it whatever. Dig in and find out what's going in underneath. Rob, uh, the only thing I the thing I would suggest that you know every developer does is find a way to do extra learning be it listening to podcasts or reading books or watching videos on YouTube uh, or going out to a user group and meeting people there. There are many ways because there, there's not one solution for every developer, but you have to be doing at least something every day that's going to uh, make you a better developer. I mean, I, I have to thank you, um, Steve, because, you know, you did a talk a while about go about carters at the user group and, you know, it's something... I've adopted and it's helping me and it's helping my team nowadays as well. Not everyone in my team gets benefit from it, but the guys who do are getting a lot. So I just sort of want to encourage people that there is more material out there than you can ever go through and tons of it are free. Make use of it. Awesome. Peter? Uh, Join an open source project. You don't necessarily have to create one, but I mean, the best well, for me, the best way to learn is to look at other people's code. You get to learn so much, and if you actually find a project that you're interested in and you commit, the people around that project is probably going to get involved, and you're going to learn so much from them as well. So, yeah, that's that's my tip. Awesome. Thank you. And then Martin. Okay. So, you know, as you guys are talking about your, your many years' experience, you know, maybe thought or think of, of you know, how we used to to write websites in the old days, <laughs> and you know, before 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 jQuery was around, you know, we we, we did things with DHTML, you know, directly manipulating the DOM, and you know, before before um, you know, all these wonderful Ajax frameworks were around, um, you know, we we were doing our building our own sort of like HTTP requests and calling you know sort of CSV pages doing CSV, and you know, I think it made me think of something, and you know, I thought you know. A lot of developers don't don't go to the sort of like the nuts and bolts of what's behind all of these frameworks. So try build these things that you're building without all of the, all of the frameworks and the, all of the scaffolding, just to get to the to the core of stuff and, and understand that. I, I don't always like giving technical tips, but I think in the context of this conversation, that is that. And I think the other thing is just sort of you know strive for balance, go out there and and you know there's more than programming to make you a good programmer. So get some balance as well. Excellent. Thank you very much, guys. Um, right, so let's just, uh, I think we're pretty much almost over the time limit already. So if we can just uh, shoot through our picks quickly. Um, I'll start. I've only got one pick uh, this week, and that is the keynote from EmberConf. Yehuda Katz and Tom Dale presented the, the, the keynote, which was really impressive, not only from a technological point of view, but that they weren't afraid to show where Ember was proved to be lacking um, and what they've done to address that over the last year with the release of Ember 2 coming up. I, I really enjoyed um, the keynote. It's a little bit long, but it's really worth it, uh, especially for the end. Rob? Uh, so I'm going to be selfish and take three picture. Uh, the first one, since I am wearing my, my I love Windows Phone shirt here, I better give a little plug for Microsoft. And for Visual Studio 2015, uh, we've got CDP6 out. And it's absolutely amazing. We 
got all the new C-sharp language features, which I like to say is the C-sharp team's finally woken up and started properly stealing stuff from Ruby. There's a lot of good stuff in there, and I really recommend people go check that out. Uh, and then to further to Martin's point about balance, I totally agree. My two other picks are completely non-technical and are purely for that balance thing. The first is a tiny little free game uh, by a developer called Terry Kavanaugh. Uh, it's called Grab Them by the Eyes. And if you want a little strategic sort of card game that you can play in about 10 minutes uh, with a cute little narrative, it's fantastic. It really is. It'll make you giggle and make you cry when you just can't solve their little puzzle that you have in it. Uh, and the last pick is a book because you know every night I end my days with reading, be it technical or fiction or whatever, and the best book I've read in years is a book called The Martian by Andy Weir. I if you are a human, you will love this. That's, I guarantee it. Awesome. That sounds great, uh, particularly the game. Peter? My pick um, is Sublime. I know it seems like a bit silly, but um, yeah, give it, a, give it a will. If, you, if you're unfortunate to still be using Notepad or Notepad++ or whatever that thing is called, give Sublime a go. You're such a troll. <laughs> Martin? <laughs> You know, um, leading up to this, I actually told one of my colleagues that I want to troll Rob, and because I knew he said we'll say something about Visual Studio, so I thought I'll push in VI at some stage. <laughs> Listen, I, I don't mind Sublime. I think Sublime is fantastic, but jeez, VI, dude, come on. Use Emacs. I, mean, I saw it, I saw it last year on Emacs. It blew my mind. I'm tempted to go to NAD right, now, but not VI. Come on. We're going to go Vim versus Emacs to end a conversation. This is not going to end well. <laughs> well, there you go. That's the next podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't think I'm ready to unleash World War Three yet. <laughs> I don't know if I want the Americans bringing us freedom here yet. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, um, yeah, yeah, for myself, I've got uh, two, two, maybe three picks. So I quite recently watched a video of, um, by, of a talk by Kent Beck on software design. And the title is Why, When, and How. It's a really, really good talk, and I suggest watching it maybe two or three times to, to just get your head um, around what he's trying to say. It, it's changed the way I'm working, and I've, I've watched it earlier this week. Then, then there's also a cool book with a very funny title. It's, it's called This Will Make You Smarter. You know, I've, I'm probably about halfway through it. And it's these essays by really smart people that, that talk about cognitive tools that will make humanity better. And it's also changed the way I think about not just software development, but life in general. So two very, very good books. And then reading Dune again. So if you haven't read Dune, read Dune. Um, it's an excellent book. Mm. <laughs> excellent. Cool. Then thank you very much, guys. Would you each like to just close off and just mention where people can find you online? Martin, starting with you. Uh, my Twitter handle is Martin Cronier. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-C-R-O-N-G-J-E. Peter? <laughs> My Twitter handle I put in the show notes because if somebody can spell my surname correctly, that would be a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Rob? Cool. Uh, you can find me online at uh, sadev.ca.za. From there to everything else. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, you can find me at um, stevenmcd underscore code or just at my blog, stevenmcd.me. Martin, Rob, Peter, thank you very much for joining me. It's been really awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Cheers.